Coming up this evening, live from New York City, G7 leaders agree to look into capping the price for Russian oil imports. How do they plan to do that, and would it have any impact on Russia's war coffers? Warren Buffett on a buying spree, purchasing hundreds of thousands more shares of an oil company. A prominent crypto hedge fund defaults on a loan worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It's the latest victim of the crypto crash. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Despite round after round of sanctions, Russia still has the money to fight in Ukraine. So the G7's next plan? Price caps on Russian oil. Will this bring Putin to his knees? NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. We are discussing an oil cap generally for Russian oil. At the G7 summit, world leaders agreed to explore putting a price cap on Russia's oil as it continues funding its war in Ukraine. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says it would empty Putin's war chest. And secondly, having a reasonable price for Russian oil would be an enormous relief for other vulnerable countries who are really having a problem now with the high oil prices. How exactly it would work is still being discussed. One thing they could do is limit the availability of insurance for oil shipments. Around 95% of all oil tankers are insured by the International Group of Protection and Indemnity Clubs, which is based in London. It's something that um, you know, sounds good in the headlines, but I think in practice it's going to be quite difficult to implement. Anish Kapadia is the CEO of ACAP Energy, an energy consultancy company. Kapadia believes this move will have a very limited impact. For example, if Germany says it's only going to pay a maximum of, of $50, then it's up to Russia to say either we agree to that and we sell at $50 per barrel, or they'll cut off the supply or they'll potentially send that supply to another country. Kapadia also says this may force Russia to produce less, which will send up gas prices even more. The average national gas price is currently $4.88. If we really want to hurt Putin, the only way to hurt him sustainably is to deplete his, his coffers. And that means lowering the price of oil and gas, lowering them dramatically. And the only way to lower oil and gas dramatically is to increase output. Daniel Turner is the founder of Power the Future, which seeks to educate Americans on energy. Turner says America has the power to radically drive down prices if it produced more. He also says the price caps would push Russia closer to China. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. The EU's energy chief is urging European countries to prepare for a significant reduction in gas supply from Russia. Kadri Simpson says while the gas flow to EU member states is guaranteed right now, the situation with Moscow is deteriorating and gas exports to the EU are half of what they were a year ago. Since the beginning of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we have known that a very serious disruption is possible and now it seems likely. We have done much important work to be prepared for this, but now is the time to step it up. Simpson says Europe's gas system has reacted well to cuts so far, but that things will undoubtedly get worse. Over in Asia, Sri Lanka has almost run out of fuel. Now it's stopped selling fuel to private drivers, and it's only selling to essential services including public transportation and medical vehicles. This as the country grapples with an economic crisis. 
NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Schools in Sri Lanka have gone online and civil servants have been told to work from home. It's an attempt to conserve energy as the country contends with its worst economic crisis. Foreign exchange reserves are at a record low. The island of 22 million is struggling to pay for essential imports of food, medicine, and most critically, fuel. This is a huge injustice. Fuel is an essential item for the people. If there is no fuel, the whole country will come to a standstill. People elected this government with high hopes. It is because of the short-sighted policies of the rulers that people are spending days in fuel lines. People are helpless. Long lines of vehicles could be seen snaking around a closed gas station in the capital, Colombo. Commuters packed onto available trains and buses. Sri Lanka will issue fuel only to trains and buses, medical services, and vehicles that transport food until July 10th. Interprovincial bus service would be limited. When you say there is no fuel for 13 days, it means that only essential services will function. How can an ordinary person come to work, even in an essential service, without fuel for their transport? I work in tourism. If I can't get fuel, I can't come to work. Sri Lanka is in talks with the International Monetary Fund on a possible bailout. The government has said it would release first quarter GDP data later on Tuesday. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Back to the States, Warren Buffett says he purchased nearly 800,000 more shares of Occidental Petroleum. It's the second time he's bought the stock in less than a week. It gives his Berkshire Hathaway a more than 16% stake in the Texas-based oil company. Berkshire said in a regulatory filing that the latest purchase cost about $44 million. This after Berkshire said last week that it bought more than $500 million worth of Occidental. That's on top of a $336 million share purchase last month and $7 billion in purchases earlier this year. Berkshire is the largest individual shareholder in Occidental. It now owns about $9 billion worth of the stock. Occidental stock is up 5% today and has nearly doubled this year. The company has benefited from Berkshire's purchases and a surge in the price of oil. U.S. shale oil producers are returning to existing wells to try to boost oil supply in the U.S. Refracking old wells can give a quick increase in output with smaller an investment than a new well. Here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the oil industry is Tom McNulty. He's president of T.J. McNulty & Company, an energy industry consultancy. Tom, great to have you. So a while ago, President Biden called on shale producers for more output. Now, some producers are obliging, but they're refracking existing wells instead of drilling new ones. Now, my question is, is this going to make a difference in terms of oil supply? It'll be incremental. Um, you know, my contacts and clients are all pretty much trying to produce more. It does vary by company. Drilling new wells is the most expensive path. Uh, 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 there are drilled uncompleted wells and in inventory that can be completed, and refracking is another approach. The problem is there are real big labor shortages, I'm hearing. It's hard to find frack crews, the actual people. And in some cases, the equipment is in short supply as well. That's the real challenge right now. Now, we'll get to the labor shortage a little bit later, but Tom, why not 
drill new wells? Why go back to existing ones? Well, if it's if it's a drilled uncompleted well in the DUC inventory, you've already drilled the well. And there are several thousand of those still that can be completed. Refracking is faster and cheaper. Uh, I do expect to see more drilling, though. I mean, drilling, again, though, is a function of crews and equipment. All of those things are happening. It's a case-by-case -case situation, well-by-well, -well, and it depends on the producer. Everyone, in my, from what I'm seeing, is trying to bring production up. So in the recent Dallas Fed survey, they mentioned the brain drain in the industry will create a sort of crisis sometime before 2030. Tom, maybe you could give us your take. Is this a real concern? I see it here in Texas, where a lot of the schools have programs in petroleum reservoir engineering, and uh, they're trying to get more uh, young people to enter those programs. This does happen from time to time in the uh, energy industry when it appears that the industry is perhaps under attack um, from a regulatory or political standpoint. Young people make decisions about their futures and perhaps choose a different path. And I think there are some that are concerned that, you know, is the career going to be there when you're, when you're 22 years old? What, are you going to have that career path if there is pressure to move away from traditional energy to newer forms of energy? Now, Tom, is there also talks about loss of experienced workers? A lot of retirements. I know people throughout the industry, including people in the financial fields around energy that are at the retirement age. There has been a bit of a brain drain. I don't see that as much of a, of a crisis tactically as the physical labor shortage at the wellhead and at the pipelines, which you might call more blue-collar uh, workers. That is more acute right now. How do we fix the labor shortage? Well, you have to attract people with the wages and the benefits and also uh, give a sense that the industry isn't going away in a few years. So a lot of it has to do with you know, a, a pattern of negativity directed toward old traditional energy. Keep, keep in mind that energy is energy. And anything that is new energy, whatever you want to call the energy transition, it's still coming from energy companies. You know, you have to make the career path attractive for young people and mid-level mid people. And, and, and you don't want them to think that the industry is going to be eliminated somehow uh, by, by governments around the world. Now, moving on to another topic, Tom, I'd like to get your, re your reaction on something. The CEO for Chevron said the U.S. won't see another new refinery built ever. That's quite a strong statement. What are your thoughts on that? I'd like to think that he's wrong. He's one of the, the, better, the better executives in the energy complex, very widely respected. And I'd, I'd like to think that he's wrong. I think that uh, the, the refining capacity issues are a big part of the fuel problem. Um, you know, we, ha I mean, we, can, we can produce oil, but if you can't send it, to a refinery complex that has capacity, it doesn't really matter. Right now, the refinery complex is running, you know, 95%, worst case 90, it's really going to be around 100% over the next couple of months. So, it, you know, the statement, in my opinion, is a reflection of his views that there's a lot of obstacles, regulatory hurdles to developing new refineries. And frankly, anything developed now would be very technologically advanced very clean. Now, last question, Tom. Where do you see oil prices going in the next 12 months? 
you know, I've been, I, I, I was, uh, before the war started, I, I was kind of bearish, and I've been wrong because the war keeps lasting. I think we have to keep in mind this war in Ukraine is being financed by countries like India and China, and to some degree the Europeans, because they're sending money to Russia. If that were to stop, I don't think Russia could maintain the war for very long. So prices are going to remain where they are um, uh, for a while. I think that that, that supply-demand imbalance can't get fixed very quickly. So my initial thoughts that we decline rapidly appear to be wrong, but we'll see. If there is a ceasefire and U.S. production keeps continuing, we could see some downward pressure. Tom McNulty, president of TJ McNulty Company. Appreciate you coming on. Great to see you today. Thank you. And just in time for the 4th of July weekend, drivers in certain states might get some relief at the pump. A regional gas station chain is cutting prices for the holiday. The chain is called Sheets, and it's now selling unleaded 88 for $3.99 a gallon, and E85, a fuel with extra ethanol, for $3.45. The promotion will last until July 5th. The national average price for a gallon of gas is $4.88 a gallon today, according to AAA. Sheets is a family-owned convenience store chain. It has over 600 locations in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Ohio, and North Carolina. House prices are still rising, but there are signs it's losing steam. Two reports out today show the increase in home prices has slightly slowed down in April. But for many, home ownership is still out of reach. Renters are also struggling to get by, as other basic necessities keep getting more expensive. In this report, we look at how Americans are struggling to balance it all while still trying to pay rent. Is your room clean? For millions of Americans, paying rent means a balancing act. Yeah, I pay it every month. I don't pay it on time. I pay it when I get it. Erlene Braggs and her two kids have been in the Chicago apartment for a little more than three years. She says she's making more money than she ever has, but it doesn't feel like it. It basically seems like those little stimulus checks that they gave us, they're basically collecting it all back. <laughs> Sometimes I have to not do one thing or not pay something in the full amount just to make sure something else is covered and then catch back on the, up on that the next round. She's not alone either. According to a new report from the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, more than 10 million renters say they're not caught up on rent as of March. I don't even know how people are surviving in some situations. The inflation has constantly been going up. That hasn't stopped. And this year we've seen it really hit the sky, but, but it, wages have not went up with those. Which means it's not just rent. Marielle Vaughn took public transport almost 15 miles just to get free food. It's crazy. Everything is up high. You got to make decisions whether or not you're going to pay your rent or go buy some food. This is my room. For many families, the challenge comes from keeping up. And for Braggs, making ends meet is as much about her audience as it is a payment on the first of the month. Just striving day to day to make sure that they find, let them see how hard they mind work so that they can know that when they get older, you know that, hey, this wasn't no joke. My mom did this all by herself, because it's just me and them. Wall Street tumbled in a broad sell-off today. All three major indexes closed sharply lower.
The Dow lost 491 points, or one and six-tenths of a percent. The S&P fell 79 points, or two percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 343 points, or three percent. Big four accounting firm Ernst & Young, or EY, has agreed to pay a $100 million fine. It's to settle U.S. charges that its auditors cheated on their CPA exams. The CPA exam is the main qualification in the accounting profession. Not only did the auditors cheat, the SEC says EY tried to mislead investigators as well. 49 accountants were circulating answer keys. Hundreds more were cheating on the continuing professional education components. Those were all related to ethics. The SEC's enforcement director says it's, quote, outrageous that the very professionals responsible for catching cheating by clients cheated on ethics exams. In response to all this, EY said nothing is more important than our integrity and ethics. One of the most prominent crypto hedge funds has just defaulted on a loan worth more than $670 million. It's the latest victim of the crypto crash. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Three Arrows Capital, a notable crypto hedge fund, has defaulted on a loan worth more than $670 million. On Monday morning, Voyager Digital issued a notice stating that the hedge fund failed to repay a loan of $350 million in the stablecoin USDC and over 15,000 Bitcoin. That amount of Bitcoin is worth about $323 million at today's prices. Mark Fidelman, founder of SmartBlocks, believes incidents like this are good for the crypto industry. Because it's digital and we can find out what happened and we can, make, we can fix all the mistakes. And when the next crypto company comes out, smart investors, smart money won't invest in companies that are set up like a Three Arrows or a, a Celsius. Fidelman brought up how something like this improved the banking system. And we allowed these investment banks to say, you know, we're giving you AAA paper when in reality it was like C or D paper. So it happens in the fiat world. Uh, it's not going to be as bad or anywhere near as bad uh, as that in the crypto world. Voyager says it plans to pursue recovery from Three Arrows Capital. In the meantime, Voyager says its platform is still operating and fulfilling customer withdrawals and orders. As of Friday, it said it isn't completely broke and still had $137 million in crypto and U.S. dollars, access to $200 million in cash and USDC revolver, and $15 billion Bitcoin worth $318 million from Almeida Ventures. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Still to come, a pediatrician turned entrepreneur invents a product to comfort small children with separation anxiety. How does it work? NASA launches an aircraft to help get more information on the moon's orbit. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Know any young children who cry their eyes out when their parents have to be away? 
that could be separation anxiety on display. A Chicago pediatrician has invented a product to help soothe young children. Here's the story. Separation anxiety is common among young children. Research shows that one of the ways to soothe children is their parents' scent. Chicago pediatrician Dr. Sarah Donahue invented Soothe Sleeve to help ease young children's separation anxiety. Mom or dad wears the sleeve like this here. So I'll just show you, I just, you know, you just put it on there. Some people like to wear it like um, tighter up on the arm. Some people like to slouch it sort of more like a scrunchie. I think it's super comfortable that way. So they wear it for a few hours to absorb their scent. And then it comes off and gets placed onto the coordinating plushie as the t-shirt. And then it comforts all day long because it smells like mom or dad's. The product is based on research and Dr. Donahue's experience as a mother and working with babies at the Newborn Intensive Care Units, or NICU. There's lots of science actually going back to the late 90s. So as a pediatrician, you know, I've seen it used and Nick used for years. And then one of my own daughters had separation anxieties, so she slept with my t-shirts for years. A lot of times what NICUs will ask parents to do is like take a little swatch of fabric, tuck it in their bra, and then they kind of put that in the corner of the incubator. And then it can, you know, um, soothe the babies when the parents can't be there. And it can also actually help with bottle acceptance. They've shown, studies have shown that uh, babies who are struggling to take a bottle, if they have their mom sent with them, they'll actually mouth more and then they'll hopefully latch onto the bottle better. So nurses will um, sometimes use it, some swatch of fabric with the parent scent on it when they're trying to help the babies learn how to take the bottle better. The product is safety tested for age zero and up, but children under 12 months old should not sleep with anything inside the crib, according to the guidelines of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Donahue hopes the product will ease parents' minds and calm their babies. Soothe Sleeve is available online at miniducklings.com. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. Fans of Dolly Parton can live like Dolly. Dollywood Dream More Resort and Spa is now taking reservations for Suite 1986, which is one of Dolly's tour buses. A two-night stay costs $10,000. A portion of that will go to the Dollywood Foundation and Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. Suite 1986 is a -a one-of-a-kind 45-foot bus. It includes a couch, kitchen, dining table, two toilets, a tub, and a bedroom. Dolly also retrofitted a closet, which displayed some of her gowns and jewelry. The bus is located just outside of the resort in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Soon, a wine from Sussex will receive a special designation alongside beverages like Prosecco and Champagne. It's the latest UK product to receive a protected origin status, and it's a boost to England's reputation as a world-class wine producer. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Here at Stopham Vineyard and Winery, there's something to celebrate. The Sussex-based winemaker produces 50,000 bottles of still and sparkling wine every year. Recently, it's been granted geographically protected status. Any wine produced in East or West Sussex will be given a protected designation of origin status, or PDO, similar to Prosecco and Champagne. I think actually the time would be better for all of us to get together and make actually English and Welsh wine a brand rather than the individual counties or regions. Traditional methods must be used for production, and it must meet a minimum alcohol content. It also must have characteristics reflective of the area. 
but some working in the British winemaking industry think the designation is divisive and have dismissed it as a marketing exercise. We would really like somebody to go into a hotel and say, I'd like a glass of Sussex, Sussex sparkling, Sussex still. I think that's what we're aiming for. While the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have helped make the area more recognized internationally, Stobham Winery is eager to push the Sussex brand. And thanks to the recent designation, they're receiving more recognition. It's good news for Sussex wine. Cheers. Cheers Andrew Sussex. Thomas, NTD News. The sky isn't the limit for NASA's latest adventure. This morning in New Zealand, the space agency launched the first spacecraft of what it calls its capstone experiment. NASA officials say capstone will take four months to get to its target destination. It will then orbit around the moon and collect data for six months. They described this mission as an orbit finder for the NASA Gateway mission to the moon. The 55-pound spacecraft will also provide information on the power and propulsion requirements the moon needs to keep its orbit. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can follow me on Twitter. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.